everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jared Rose, and we're here to bring you another episode of Outside the 90. Today, we're fielding questions that were submitted on Twitter and via email. Some notes before we start. Today, we'll be using some MLS jargon like designated player or DP for short. We will also be talking a little bit about some of Major League Soccer's unique characteristics. If you feel a little overwhelmed at times, no problem. Go back on our page and give episode 1.1, Tim Regan, a listen. He'll clear everything up for you, and you'll be good to roll for this episode. Some of our listeners had some interest in last week's MLS draft. One of our listeners, Carl, wrote in to ask, How does the MLS draft compare to the drafts of the NFL and the NBA? Are the players ready to make the starting 11 like in the NFL or in the NBA? I'm going to do my best to answer Carl's question using some facts and sprinkling in some of my own opinions. But first, I just want to say that I'm far more interested in the concept of the MLS draft as an institution and a system that consists of various general trends, rather than analyzing individual players and giving a podcast on draft winners and losers. And yes, I know you can't see me, but imagine me using air quotes around the term winners and losers. Okay, so let's break down the question. From a structural standpoint, the MLS draft has historically been conducted in a similar manner as to other mainstream American professional sports drafts. That means that Major League Soccer has had a combine for players who are potential draft picks to do some testing, scrimmage, and conduct interviews with MLS clubs to supposedly boost their draft stock. This changed this year. There is no longer an MLS combine, and another important change is that MLS Superdraft is no longer held in a specific location, and it's also streamed on ESPN now. This contrasts heavily with the drafts of the NBA and the NFL, which have become almost their own form of mega events. In addition, the Super Draft is comprised of four rounds with 26 picks per round. Draft picks are used to sweeten deals, and for this reason, some clubs have acquired more picks than other organizations. That's enough for the boring structural jargon for now. So in essence, we want to know how the MLS is different from other American sports leagues draft like the National Football League. To me, a draft is nothing more than a reflection of the labor markets that each sport operates in. What do I mean by labor markets? I basically mean that each club operates essentially like any other business, in which they require laborers, or in the case of professional sports, players. Teams have to find a way to acquire these players, and they have to have some way of introducing new players to the league. In order for the league to prosper, they need to make sure that these players are of a high enough caliber to further the league's success. In a sport like football, where almost every single player is from the United States or is coming from a U.S. college or university, the best way to get a new player is through the draft. There is a minimum age requirement of 21 or to have played three years in college football. This rule is enforced by the NFL. This means that the new players are almost exclusively acquired either through the draft or their players who are eligible for the draft but were not selected. These are the guys you see on TV who come through that undrafted free agent process. This is the fundamental difference between most American sports leagues and Major League Soccer. The market for players in Major League Soccer is a global market, especially in relatively recent times. We have seen teams show high levels of success by purchasing players on the global market. As Tim Regan told us last time on the show, most of the DPs in MLS are internationals. The firepower in most MLS teams comes from their big money designated players, the overwhelming majority of whom are either international players or Americans who are coming back from international experiences like Michael Bradley. This leads me to the next part of the question. Are college players ready to make the jump from college game 
to the MLS? Yes and no. I'm not going to sit behind this microphone and give in to the Twitter haters who will do anything to make college soccer into something it is not, a feeder league into the MLS. Are there players now who are tearing up the MLS after going through the draft? Yes. I only need to point out to a couple players for reference reasons, but Walker Zimmerman, who was selected in the draft by FC Dallas and now plays at LAFC, Julian Gressel at Atlanta United, Roldan with the Sounders, Andre Blake with the Philadelphia Union, the list goes on and on. But this does not mask the fact that the overwhelming number of college players, even some of the top players who are selected in the middle to late rounds of the draft, are not prepared for Major League Soccer. This is because Major League Soccer is no longer a league, by and large, that most first-time pros can play in. I watched the draft and counted 25-plus outright passes. This is more than an entire round of passes. This means that MLS clubs would rather not spend the money feeding and housing players and paying their travel expenses that they will ultimately likely cut for preseason camp. Some of the clubs who passed on players actually acquired the picks in trades. This means that they literally gave something up for the opportunity to acquire a player and then didn't pick anybody at all. My argument isn't that there is not MLS-ready players available in the draft, but simply that there is not 104 MLS players to be found in the draft every year. I feel that the number of rounds needs to be cut significantly to avoid the mass number of passes that we are seeing currently. But it doesn't bother me that college players are not immediately ready for MLS action because college is not designed to prepare professionals. For instance, the college season, for most teams, is only three and a half to four months long. A professional season is around 10 months long. Even some of the best players in the world don't get to just step into their country's top flight professional leagues on the basis of what they have achieved in short seasons. Take Chelsea phenom Mason Mount, for example. He's 21 years old, which is around the same age as a player who would be selected in the draft, and he's a Chelsea Academy product. But he doesn't get to just step into the Premier League action. He spent an entire season's length loan in the Eredivisie, and then another entire season's length loan at Derby County in the championship. He had to show he could withstand two full professional seasons before he was given his Premier League debut. Now, I know what you're saying. Breaking into the Premier League and breaking into Major League Soccer are two totally different things. EPL quality and MLS quality differ significantly, yes. But I would also say that Mason Mount's quality and the quality available at the top of MLS drafts also differ greatly. The comparison is strictly for a little bit of scale. Another important thing to note, and why the MLS draft differs from other American sports leagues draft, is that MLS clubs have academy systems in which they are encouraged to develop and sign their own prospects. This bypasses the draft entirely and provides various financial incentives that benefit both the clubs and the homegrown players. We won't dive too deep into MLS homegrown rules because we are looking at doing a full episode on that later. So those are kind of my preliminary views on the MLS Super Draft as a whole. Thanks a ton for messaging in, Carl, and great question. So a little bit of news I saw right as I sat down to record this episode is that LAFC number one Tyler Miller was transferred to Minnesota United for $150,000 in general allocation money, or GAM, and $50,000 in targeted allocation money, or TAM. If you want to know a little bit more about GAM and TAM, take a peek at the MLS website and they'll break down a pretty complicated money system for you. I thought this move would be a fun one to talk about because it combines some of the principles we've been talking about for the past two episodes with one of my favorite topics, goalkeeping. 
This move has been happening in real time as I'm recording, so everything at the moment is pretty speculative. But the news as of now is that 2019 goalkeeper of the year Vito Minone has turned down Minnesota United's improved offer. How improved was it? We can't say for sure. But we do know that Minone was the third highest paid goalkeeper last season behind MLS legends Tim Howard and Brad Guzan. According to sources in Minnesota, Minone wanted to be counted as a designated player. This was obviously a huge deal given that the only goalkeeper who was a DP last season was Tim Howard, who has since retired. Making the Italian goalkeeper a DP would have also filled Minnesota's last designated player spot. Minnesota reportedly declined to give in to Minone's request and went in another direction by acquiring Tyler Miller from LAFC. This is presumably an excellent business decision from the Loons. Granted, Miller is not a reigning MLS goalkeeper of the year, but he's got a very good resume and a lot lower of a price tag. Interestingly, related to our previous topic, Miller did come through the draft as an original selection of the Seattle Sounders, where he honed his skills while serving in the USL with Sounders 2. Miller has spent two years as the number one for LAFC, including last year's Supporter Shield winning season. He's also five years younger than Minone and will obviously not take up either a designated player spot or an international roster spot. In my opinion, I think very few, if any, DP slots should be spent on goalkeepers. Typically, as a general world trend in soccer, goalkeepers are paid relatively little when compared to other positions on the field. The reason for this is that typically the most valuable event that it can occur in a match is a goal for your team. If you abide by this logic, then it makes sense that the players who would command the highest wages would be players who facilitate the most goals. Forwards, midfielders, and wingers typically. Although I agree with this philosophy to a certain extent, I think the reasoning for paying relatively lower wages to goalkeepers stems from the belief that the gap between great and very good is very small for goalkeepers, and a very good goalkeeper will probably keep you in close to as many games and keep your season point total at a very similar number as a great goalkeeper would. MLS clubs can then use their DP slots and extra dollars to bring in game changers who will change the course of seasons, players like Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Carlos Vela. I would largely agree with these standard practices, and I believe that Minnesota United will be largely better off by saving their final DP spot and paying a more reasonable price for a very solid and younger goalkeeper in Tyler Miller. Well, thanks for tuning in today, guys. Uh, I know the episode was a little bit shorter, but I hope you guys liked it. Uh, if you want to be on the show with a write-in or have something to say, you can DM me at jrderose13 or send an email to outsidethe90.info at gmail.com. That's outside the spelled out and then 90.info at gmail.com. Also, again, you can DM me at jrderose13 on Twitter. Thanks again for tuning in, guys.